0: I want to preach a message to you this morning, uh, just some things that the Lord has helped me through in my life, and uh, some messages are a little bit more personal to your heart than others, and some of the things I want to show you from Scripture are things that the Lord helped me through, and uh, so if you would find the book of Matthew today, Matthew chapter number 11, and let's stand as we uh, honor God's Word this morning, if you're able, Matthew chapter number 11, and look in verse number 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? What an incredible thing for John to say. Unbelievable actually. Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? And Jesus answering said unto them, Go and show John those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? a man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, and he shall prepare thy way before thee. And verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven. Is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And those last two words right there uh, pretty much explain why John was the greatest prophet uh, in the Bible, is because his ministry ushered in uh, the transition between the law and grace. But I want you to back up and uh, look at it again in verse number three, when John sent his disciples to Jesus with this question, art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us in a very special and unique way this morning. Uh, Lord, I know that there are many needs represented across this crowd. Uh, Lord, we've already heard some of the prayer requests today about those that have recently lost loved ones. And others, Lord, that are uh, going through personal battles that maybe no one uh, knows about. But Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us through these scriptures, through these men uh, like John the Baptist who found a a realness and a nearness to you. And uh, Lord, I pray for your help. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I was preaching in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I was um, loading up my suitcase back into a rental car and i got a phone call i didn't recognize the number but when i answered the the phone the man on the other end of the line was just hysterically crying and i couldn't figure out who he was I I slowly began to put two and two together that he was a friend of mine from another church about an hour away from ours and uh... he began to explain the story to me he has uh... several children his wife had just had a, a newborn baby and uh, Easter Sunday uh, they were at their church they were taking their kids on a candy hunt Easter Sunday his wife was holding this little infant baby but on that morning she had gotten all the kids up and had gotten them ready for school had made everybody breakfast and as they were about to leave for school she collapsed in her kitchen and began to go into convulsions and and by the time the paramedics got there she had already flatlined three times they put her into the hospital, uh, to an ambulance, and were rushing her to the hospital. And by the time I got a call from him, he was literally just going through his phone, calling every preacher that he knew, asking people to pray for his wife. And he called me as he was walking into the hospital, not knowing whether or not she'd be alive when he got there. When he got to the hospital, she lived for a few more hours, and around eleven o'clock that morning, she passed away, leaving him with. Uh, couple teenage boys and an infant. And I can remember as I got in that rental car, these were new Christians, but they they were people who were sold out to the Lord. They would drive an hour to church. They would drive an hour every weekend to go on soul winning and bus visitation. They had just been at our our camp the summer before and that's where I got to know them and got close to them as counselors. I thought to myself as I traveled to that next meeting, you know, Lord, why do things like this happen to good people like that? These people are sincere. These people, they're they're giving their best to you. Now, something that I've learned through the years in ministry, we, we don't always understand why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. But there's something that I've learned along the road of life, and that is most of the time the person that, that is the most vulnerable to becoming bitter at God is not necessarily who you'd think. It's not the rebels, it's not the ones that are living in sin. Most of the time it's those that are trying their best to be a blessing. Most of the time it's those who are the most sincere. And when you're giving your all to God and you're sacrificing and you know you're trying your dead level best and then something comes along that devastates you, that sets you back It's easy to look up at God and say, Lord, do you even care? Do you even see what I'm going through? And here you have John the Baptist. Here's a man who had prepared his entire life uh, to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He spent some 30 years in the wilderness. Surviving on wild locusts and honey and all of these things and he comes out of the wilderness just the time God tells him to and he begins to preach prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, One day he sees Jesus uh, as he's approaching and he uh, shouts the message and points and says behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And the next thing you know he's taking a stand. He's doing what's right. He condemns Herod's uh, adultery and now he's in prison. And in prison I think he just began to have some moments of doubt doubt art thou he that should come or do we look for another now if anybody else asked that question I could understand but for John the Baptist asked that question the man who was the forerunner the herald uh, the man whose birth was prophesied hundreds of years before in Malachi chapter 3. The man who, he is literally a, a blood cousin to Jesus Christ. His mother Elizabeth and Mary were expected at the same time. John is the one that says, behold the Lamb of God. John is the one that baptizes the Messiah. He hears God from heaven speak in an audible voice confirming, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him this was the man that was a scourge to the Pharisees this was the man that condemns Herod while he's sitting in prison some realities begin to sit in he begins to realize that he's probably not getting out nobody's coming to his rescue I don't know how long he was in that prison but everything that I've read about the prison sounds like it was a very terrible terrible place it was infamous and he begins to wonder is Jesus gonna answer my prayer is Jesus gonna do anything about my situation he's out there helping everybody else but he's not helping me and sometimes there's nothing harder in life to deal with than the realities of a terrible or tragic situation and sometimes when we get bad news we often like to Respond to it initially with either disbelief or Sometimes even some momentary optimism Maybe it's not as bad as it sounds Maybe we can work things out Maybe it's not as bad as the doctor said and there's that momentary optimism But as time goes by weeks and months the reality begins to set in And we begin to realize this is going to be so much harder than I thought Now, I don't know how John felt. I I don't presume to, to, to know the man's thoughts in his mind, but I know how I would be thinking if I was in that prison. I think I would begin to ask, how could Jesus be out there helping everybody else, coming to everybody else's rescue? But here I am, his ambassador and his forerunner and his herald, and he's not coming to help me. And then an even darker thought enters into his mind. What if, what if he's not who he says he is? What if he's not even the Messiah? That question crosses his mind. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Uh, I want to ask you a few questions this morning uh, that uh, I think are important, things that uh, that we face along the way. And some of these questions might just challenge your faith a little bit. But first question is this, what if, what if God's plan for your life is the opposite of what you're praying for right now? Can you accept the decision that God's made is he still worth trusting? Is he still worth following? I'm just saying what if God's plan is to take your big re, uh, biggest prayer request and answer it in a way that you're not expecting at all? My wife when uh she was in school, she was always a part of the the cheerleading teams in her public school and uh one particular year uh she went to a Christian school her her uh her senior year but One particular year when she was in public school, she tried out for the cheerleader team and for whatever reason, she just didn't make the cut. And she was devastated. Up until that point, it had been her whole life. It's what she looked forward to. She looked forward to spending her summers at the cheer camps and all of those kind of things. And she just didn't understand why she didn't make the cut that year. That summer, because she didn't get to go to cheer camp, she got to go to Bible camp instead. And that's the week that she got saved. And it kind of makes you wonder, had she never gone to that Bible camp, had she ever gotten saved, would she be a pastor's wife today? I'm just saying, sometimes we have to trust the decisions that God made. Paul prays for healing. Three seasons of prayer, he asks God to remove the infirmity that he has. And God, every time, reminds him that Paul's better off not being healed. And Paul says, I'm okay with that because I realize that God's strength is made perfect when I'm weak. And so I'm just going to glory in my infirmity so that the power of God may rest upon me. And there is power in weakness. I thank God for the things that he's done in my life. Whenever uh, my wife and I were first married, our first year in the ministry, we hadn't even been married five months. And I began to get very sick. And uh, doctors couldn't figure out what was going on uh, with my health. It just kept declining and declining. And uh, after a while, they finally discovered uh, that I had something called Crohn's disease and uh, battled that for, for many, many years. I thank God for the good health that I have now. But I tell you what, I would not go back and change a day that I suffered in those hospitals the way I suffered. Month after month, laying in those hospital beds, listening to the drip of an IV pole. You know why? Because it was in those moments that that God begins to speak, and all you can do is listen. You said, "Brother Randy, I got a broken heart today." Have you ever tried reading your Bible with a broken heart? It's amazing how different the experience is when you read your Bible with a broken heart. It's almost like the words on the page are illuminated when you pray. When you've gone through something that has broken your heart, it's amazing how different the relationship with God begins to feel. What if God takes your biggest prayer request and decides to answer it in a way that's totally different than what you were expecting? He decides that new job is wrong for you. What if He decides that it's better for you not to be healed? Is he still worth trusting? What if he decides that that family member that you're praying for is not to be healed? Is he still a good God? Is he still a fair God? Question number two, what do you do when your faith gets interrupted? Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? You live long enough and I promise you, you'll experience times of interrupted faith. I'm talking about times when nothing makes sense anymore, and and there's no rhyme or reason or explanation for uh, the pain that's entered into your life. As a parent, seeing one of your children go astray, that'll interrupt your faith. Seeing a a parent get, parents get divorced or separated, that'll interrupt your faith. Watching somebody that you admire and look up to in the ministry, the person that led you to Christ, seeing somebody fall from that pedestal, that'll interrupt your faith. I was a teenager, and the youth pastor that I looked up to, and uh, I I mean, I I, I had no greater hero in my life than my youth pastor, and I'll never forget coming back home from a youth activity and someone telling me of the, the trouble he had gotten himself into, and Man, it broke my heart. I can remember going around for a year thinking everybody's phony, everybody's fake. I hate Christians, I hate church. When I grow up, I don't want. I can remember having those thoughts in my mind. Interrupted faith. Interrupted faith. Is all of this real? Is anybody real? You get sick, you go to the hospital, you battle diabetes you you face a handicap in your life and I promise you the first thing the devil will do he's gonna crawl up on your shoulder and he's gonna say if God loved you if God really loved you then why would he allow this to happen interrupted faith interrupted faith art thou he that should come or do we look for another you look at the apostles and uh, the Apostle Peter in particular Uh, why would Peter quit the ministry like he did I think Peter was disappointed in himself. He never thought that he would deny the Lord, but I think Peter, I think Peter was disappointed in Jesus. He had already seen the resurrected savior at least twice and he still quit. Isn't that amazing? No doubt whatsoever that Jesus is the son of God and he quits. But I think Peter and these disciples had it in their mind that, that Jesus was coming to, to drive Rome out. Jesus was coming to sit on David's throne and they were going to reign with him and one would sit on the right hand and one would sit on the left hand. And the next thing you know, they're watching their Messiah be taken and nailed to a cross. And instead of driving out Rome, the, the Messiah is allowing Rome to to crucify him. And it interrupted their faith. You think about Mary and Martha. They send news to Jesus, our brother Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. If you don't come quick, he's going to die. You think Jesus would have jumped on a white horse and come riding valiantly into Bethany and saved the day, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he waits until Lazarus gets so sick that he passes away. They have a funeral. He's in the tomb for four days. And Jesus shows up. When he gets there, he sees... Uh, the people and the, the, their broken hearts. And the first person he, he, he encounters is Martha. And you remember what she says to him? Lord, if you'd have just been here. If you'd have just been here, our brother would not have died. Don't you sense a little bit of the bitterness in Martha's voice? In her tone? Lord, you, we, we've had you into our home. You've taught in our house. I, I've served guests in our house while you did ministry here. And you're out there healing everybody else from leprosy. You're out there raising other people's loved ones from the dead. But when our brother gets sick, and when we needed you, and when we prayed for help, you didn't come. Jesus next sees Mary. Where's Mary? She doesn't even want to come out of the house. But when he sees Mary, he gets the same. Question from her, Lord, if you'd just been here, our brother would not have come. Now we know that the Lord had a plan for all of it. and we know the Lord was touched by the grief and the emotion of those people. As a matter of fact, when He saw their grief, the shortest person in all the Bible, Jesus wept but he knew that there was a greater purpose for what he had in mind. Now you fast forward the story, Lazarus comes out of that tomb, uh, you turn in your, your, your New Testament a few pages forward and you see Mary and Martha and Lazarus and they're all sitting around the table fellowshipping together. I don't think that they would have gone back and changed a single thing about what God had done in their life and in their family. But in the moment, in the moment in the pain, we begin to say, Lord, if you'd have just if you'd have just listened, if you'd have just responded. Question number three, what if God's answer to your prayer is no? Uh, would you turn over to Luke chapter number seven and verse number 20? i got to hasten, but I want you to see this real quick. Luke seven, verse number 20, parallel passage to what we read a minute ago. And the men that were come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to thee, saying, art thou he that should come or look we for another? In that same hour, he cured many from their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto them that were blind, he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said unto them, go uh, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. Now, I want you to see the miracles Jesus performs here. I want you to count them as we read. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor, the gospel is preached. And then he adds a beatitude in verse number 23 and says, blessed is he who shall not be offended in me. How many did you get? Did you get six? Six miracles. These miracles were no coincidence. Everything Jesus did in his ministry were fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy about him. These miracles that Jesus performed, I believe they were to remind John of the seven messianic prophecies in isaiah you can read about them in isaiah 29 18 35 and verse 5 42 6 and 7 and 61 and verse number one there were messianic prophecies and i mentioned that there's seven of them and yet how many does jesus perform in this passage he performs six so what did he leave out and if he le- and if he left one out what was the purpose it's very interesting to me when you read those verses, you see the one thing that Jesus left out from telling John was the verse that says, and then that, uh, and to bring out of, and to bring out the prisoners from the prison. And then that set in darkness from the prison house. I think John told those disciples, go back and you tell John, first of all, you tell him I am who I claim to be. I do have all power, but you're not getting out of prison. And I think that John probably heard that and said, you know what? Thy will be done. I think that he got the faith that he needed. I don't think for one minute that John died a coward or or died with doubts in his heart about Jesus. I don't believe that at all. But he needed to respond to his doubt. And and let me just write these these things down and and we'll be done this morning. But I want you to remember these things. What do you do when your world doesn't make sense? What do you do when your faith gets interrupted? When God says no? When God's plan is the opposite of the way that you're praying? Write these down. Number one, the best thing you can do is what John did. And that's go to Jesus. Go to Jesus with your doubts. Tell them how you feel tell them what you're going through if you're doubting your salvation. Don't live in doubt of that Get it settled get assurance my first year in the ministry I don't know why it was but there was some doubts that entered in my heart and I traveled for one whole year as an evangelist with the craziest doubts in my mind about God I Think it was a a spiritual warfare attack that the devil had on my mind Settle in your heart what you believe about Jesus Christ and his word and salvation. Number two, ask him to bend your will to his will. Ask him to bend your will to his will. That's what real prayer will do. Jesus went in the garden and he said, Lord, if it be possible let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Prayer changes you we have we have bought into the charismatic theology that if we have enough faith we can manipulate God and that's just not the truth go over to Hebrews chapter number 11 and read about all of those great heroes of the faith and tell me how many of them manipulated God with their great faith not a single one let me tell you what great faith is great faith is trusting what God does Great faith. Trust what God does. Ask Him to bend your will to His will. Number three, realize that sometimes the bad in our life is actually better. The psalmist says, it has been good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Really? David, it was good for you that you had to live in caves for 10 years of your life? It was good for you that you were hunted by an insane king? It was good for you that you suffered the adversity that you did? And David said, yes, because it taught me to rely on the Lord. Romans 8:28, what does it say? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose." Romans 8:28 doesn't say that all things are good. Cancer's not good. Tragedy and death and illness, those things aren't good, but God is sovereign. He's the grand weaver, and like the ingredients in a recipe, he can take all things and work them together for good. I don't know about you, but living in Texas, I grew up with a mama who knew how to make homemade biscuits. I love homemade biscuits, man. Mom, she'd, she'd get that flour and uh, that, that shortening and all that and make, make those homemade biscuits. How many, of you, how many of you like biscuits in here? Okay. Yes. Hallelujah. So if you like biscuits, how many of you get out a bag of flour, stick a spoon in that bag of flour and just eat? Mm yum-yum how many of you get out the, the 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 can of Crisco and just get a spoonful of Crisco and mmm but you say you like biscuits but you don't like the ingredients but oh, you mix all those ingredients together you roll them out on that uh that pan and you put them into the the oven and and, and bake them for a little while and when it comes out you got something good hey cheer up God's just making biscuits amen <laughs> Put that on the refrigerator in the dorm. Romans 8, 28, God's just making biscuits. (laughs) Works all things together for good. are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John needed reassuring. Last is this, never compare your human logic to God's decisions. You will frustrate yourself every time, every time trying to understand an omnipotent God. How many of you know what a paradox is? A paradox, unlike me, that was born and raised in West Virginia and homeschooled. uh, I realize it's not a a pair of doctorate degrees, okay, but I looked it up. A paradox is a seemingly contradictory statement that may nonetheless be true. Or in other words, it's it's something that is contrary to received opinion. And that's how the Christian life is. When we believe that you live through dying or the way to receive is by giving or that you have to humble yourself to be exalted, that's all contrary to our rational thinking, but that's the way it is for the Christian. We have to have faith. We have to be willing to, uh, to trust God's Word, to realize that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that to be brokenhearted, the broken heart is the healed heart, the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to possess nothing is to have everything, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown we give to receive. The valley is the place of vision. There's life in my death. There's joy in my sorrow. There's grace in uh, my sin. There's riches in my poverty. There's glory in the valleys. We trust that God's way is best. And one of these days, one of these days, you may not get all your answers down here that you're looking for, but one of these days like they sang about a little while ago, we'll cross just over on the other side of glory. And I promise you, I promise you, no matter how much you've suffered here, and you may have suffered a lot, if we passed the microphone around today and heard testimonies from people, we'd be weeping in a pretty short time just hearing some of the things that that you've been through in your life. No matter how much you've suffered, no matter how much you've given, no matter how many souls you've led to Christ, no matter how much you have, have, have sacrificially done for the Lord, I promise you, every single one of us, the moment we step over on the other side of glory, I promise you, we are all going to wish that we had suffered a little bit more patiently that we had given a little bit more generously uh, that we had done done more for the cause of the gospel we'll understand that then right farther along we'll know all about it farther along we'll understand why so cheer up my brother and live in the sunlight because we'll understand it all by and by